It's hard to believe that the summer is almost over and uh, it's time for kids to go back to school. They're back in school in about two weeks. I'm talking today to Pathstone's clinical manager of uh, youth. Hi, Erin. How are you today? Good morning, Janice. I'm well. How are you? Great, great. So today I want to talk about the back to school uh, quiz that you've done and then the prep kit that parents can use to kind of, well, prepare kids for for going back to school uh, and they're going back in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and I'm sure they feel like I do that somehow the summer is just rushed, rushed past. But, yes. um, so you've done a really, really interesting quiz and I think it's something that every parent should, should um, take and they can go on Pathstone and, and get access to the quiz. And it's seven questions that mm-hmm. basically helps people identify sort of the most obvious mental health issues you might be looking for um, and understanding with your kids. So we'll, we'll just go through the quiz first and we can talk about the answers to the questions. Mm-hmm. So question number one is one in every five children will experience a mental health struggle. And that's yes. a true or a false. So some of them are multiple choice and that's a true or, true or a false. So what is what are we looking at when we when we think about that question and the number of kids? I think what we're hoping for is to create an awareness of prevalence. And so through the pandemic, we've seen um, positively a conversation rise about mental health. Um, It didn't come from the best place, but it came from people struggling. But we really want to put into focus how prevalent mental health issues are, struggles are, and that um, the stat as it stands, I don't know if we're going to give the answers away, yes or no, Janice, because we do hope that people will use it. Um, it Where it stands, it's expected to rise, which is really startling. And so as mental health, the primary mental health provider in the region, that really um, mimics the experience we've seen through COVID. Yeah, and it's um, we will go through the answers, Erin, okay. because you know, in the in the in the interview, parents will be able to kind of tweak into that, but they may sure. want to have more in the ideas that they will, you know, will sure. drive them to that interview. But it is interesting, the one in five number, because um, that's been across the board, adults, kids, for years. Yes, and um, you know, I I just think all the time it has to have increased because we know that 10 years ago, if it wasn't one in five, we know it's worse now. So the number mm-hmm. we're looking at potentially is one in four, and that's Correct. an increase from you know 20% to 25%. It's pretty significant. It is, yes. Okay, so question number two: most mental health struggles start in childhood. Yes. And the answer is yes. The right? answer is yes. Yes. So, um, so it's so so it's sort of like seventy percent of mental yes. health issues start in in childhood. So, yeah. how do we look at that in terms of what parents would be looking for in their children? So it's interesting because um, we've been talking about the service age, and partly people are alarmed, but. Um, It's really, you know, I've had the question of how young does that start in childhood? And it, and it really is, it's a twofold answer. We know that adverse childhood experiences impact the mental health of young people and can um, predate struggles. But then there's the point where 
um, vocalization. So whether that's behavioral presentation or actually communicating a problem from a child is when parents could start to pay attention. So when things seem to be disproportionate. So, you know, is it normal to assume that children are going to be happy? They're going to be sad. They're going to be upset. Yes. But when it starts to impact their ability to function in life, um, impacts their relationships, um, impacts their ability to, to take care of themselves from day to day, or they start to vocalize it. So, so we say, you know, it's, and presentations are different in each child, but it's really when it, it sits with the parent that this isn't typical. This isn't typical for my child. This is something that maybe is new. And, and that is something that we would say, then tune into that, tune into, to your sense of, of what, how your child is showing up for you. Yeah, I know. And sometimes um, the change in behavior can be more vocalization and sort of happier or less, yeah. but it's like that change in behavior. And I know when I was uh, a teenager uh, and many years ago, obviously, but <laughs> as a girl, behavioral issues were often just attributed to hormones. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and many, many, many children, I'm sure, were sort of slipping through the cracks at that time because we weren't recognizing really until recently how young mental health mm -hmm. issues can start. So question, question number three, um, children with good mental health outcomes are, and there are five that you can look for yes. uh, to determine if your child is experiencing good mental health. Yeah. And the, the reason, and so the answer to that one is all of the above. And part of it is, is to represent, like I've said, there's different presentations, but also, you know, the first one is my child happy all the time. Well, who's happy all the time? I don't know about you, Janice, but I'm not happy all the time, right? So it's, it's, it's we can set up these um, expectations for ourselves or norms for ourselves. And I think you bring up a good point. There were gender norms, right? So there's, there's lots of things that have been steeped in and also good, like quote unquote good, right? So what we're trying to say is well balanced, but also represent that Someone can be all of these things. Someone can be one of these things, um, but it really does show up differently. So as parents, that's, that's what we're hoping that parents will engage in to really see the, the variety that's, that can show up for them and their children. I think one of the ones that might be very easy to, for parents to identify is learn well. Mm -hmm. So if your child goes from being able to focus in school and get good grades and good comments from their teacher to I'm, you know, they're not doing as well as they were. That would be a clear indication and, and an easy one for parents to look at and, and, and twig Definitely. and say, okay, there, there might be something going on here. For sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is the one I liked children being sad often is just a part of life. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is, not true it's it's false, false. Yeah. and how do you identify like what what is what, how do you identify what would be a normal sad mm -hmm. to a sadness that starts to you know go into the uh, the area of, a, of some sort of a mental health problem in a lot of cases now it's depression and anxiety mm -hmm. that kids have experiencing increase in, in the last couple of years I think you make it first just to say I think you make a good point Janice that um, when we say persistent sadness, um, that's what we mean. And it doesn't necessarily mean depression. 
persistent sadness can, it's, it's showing a presentation of your mood and not normal could be like uh, not wanting to engage in activities, not wanting to eat, disrupted sleep patterns, um, irregularity with things that they would be interested in, lack of focus, too much focus. So again, it's, I'm probably sound obtuse to people and I apologize, but it's again, that variety in presentation, but that persistent low mood, that persistent lack of enjoyment that, you know, intermittently, of course, like we're not always happy, we're not always sad. So it's about that balance. And when that balance seems to disappear, that's when we would suggest that there's something happening. Um, and look into it and, and look don't into just, it. yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't it, and like you said, it doesn't mean that your child is depressed, but it could be the beginning of um, a decline into depression. We're not going to talk about question five because we all know that the vast majority of students use social media every <laughs> day. Do. And yeah. I think everybody's pretty clear on the effect that that has on, on children's mental health and ability to socialize and, and learn those socialization skills, which again, sure. during COVID got worse and under understandably. I think it's too, just to touch on that though. I think the, the, maybe the distinction we want is that, you know, I, I'm of a different generation, so it's not normalized for me that this is social media. So again, um, as a parent myself, like it's, it is for parents to see that and also touching on that benchmark for potential addiction. So what again is kind of typical expected use, but then what, what might you pay attention to, to see, is it, is there something else happening? Cause that is something that is occurring. Right. And and media and technology is used globally now in ways that I think we never imagined. Um, so it's, yeah, but I agree with you. I, I don't think it would be um, shocking or disputable yeah. for people to, to say that it's heavily integrated into our children. Yeah, and, I, and I realize I'm sort of, you know, dismissing it a bit because as an ad, I was just actually relating to it as an adult. But if we look at the next question or any of these, but the next question is about um, uh, body positivity and mm -hmm. eating disorders, kids are constantly barraged with their friends yes. are beautiful and pictures of I'm, you know, look at me, I'm like a model and, uh, you know, they're at home alone and starting to feel like um, rightly or wrongly, I look fat or I'm not pretty or I don't have enough friends Mm -hmm. And you have seen uh, a, a very large increase in the number of kids coming in who are experiencing some level of an eating mm -hmm. disorder, which yes. is pretty scary because that can be lifelong. Um, eating disorders are lifelong. So, so they are, um, you know, a mental health issue. They are, um, you know, like we would say about addictions or mental health, you can learn strategies to manage and increase your wellness, we would say the same for issues of um, that reside with eating because it's not solely about eating or the food or the consumption, right? It's much, much deeper. And I, you know, you are correct. We, you know, there's many um, environmental factors. Social media is really prevalent. Um, body positivity. I know um, you did a segment with one of our therapists on and we're really trying to um, get that message out but it is about um, a person's concept of their self and what they're seeing in the mirror. And a lot of what they're seeing through media is unattainable. So they're false beauty standards, 
right? There, there's um, images where there's retouching, airbrushing, but there's this idea that this is what the ideal is to look for and that equated with that will be success, will be happiness, will be these things. And so, you know, people are susceptible at all ages to that, to wanting happiness, wanting things, but, but um, our work really is trying to focus on that coming from within someone's else. So from themselves, but also, um, you know, dynamically through COVID, we all experienced the loss of control and control and power and dominion over oneself is at the core of some issues related to eating. And we, as a society, for the first time ever globally um, encountered that and our children um, and youth lost control of so much of their lives. And so that's where too, we feel like it's important to keep that conversation going. We've seen, yes, a stark and pretty startling increase um, and really try to um, augment our services to address it because it is something to really call attention to. But again, you know, working on um, how we can provide um, support to the core kind of issues. And we can't control the things that we can't control, but how can we work on those thought patterns, how someone seeing self, their perception of themselves, their core beliefs, those kinds of things. Well, and sometimes what they're seeing or thinking about themselves is just simply not true. When they look yeah, in the mirror absolutely. and they see, you know, uh, uh, a great big, huge fat person, for example, but they're mm-hmm. not. So they see this um, this uh, reflection of themselves that's, that's not mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. The prep kit. So we've, we've talked about the issues and, and, and the problems that kids might face and, but you've put together um, a back to school prep kit that gives parents the, the, the solutions or ways to try and, and cope and bring their, their kids into a safer frame of mind going Mm -hmm. back to school. Uh, Again, I think this is really a COVID kind of thing as well, which is expanding their social circle. Yes. Because we've, we're all, we've all been so used to being, you know, alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, so this year, last year, we really, um, COVID was very prevalent, and we really um, honed in on that. And we're not, um, COVID is still around, we still know that and, and yet to see how it will evolve, but we're trying to really be forward with generalized strategies and expanding your social circle. Definitely through COVID, it was reduced through no fault of people's own. And some people have been reluctant to go back out, but it is we're social beings. We're relational beings. We, we typically thrive from being engaged with one another and there's opportunities there. So um, we really wanted to, in our tips this year, really highlight and point out what we think um, parents could really put attention to and encourage children to do. And, and there are so many collateral benefits from um, making friends or being connected with like-minded peers or through activities that are shared and there's so much good feedback there, you know, positive self-esteem, accomplishment, um, you know, so that's where it's first on our list. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the things that I liked in there, which is for very young children, so again, we're, you know, we're talking about starting early, which is to organize play dates, mm-hmm. which used to be sort of a norm, you know, your kids went to you, you play dates, maybe they had a week of a, a, a day a week where they went somewhere and they played with kids. Um, improve their focus. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you do that? Because that takes us back to a whole bunch of stuff like too much time on social media, binge watching on TV. So how do you 
and, and focus has been like, that's always been a problem for kids. So what do you sure. do to try and, you know, hone in the, the focus on, of your kids on school? I think and you're learning first start- and all of the things you need to yeah, I mean, it's, I think, you know, those building blocks, right? So we're coming from summer. So we've been out of schedule, we've been out of routine. So we always stress, you know, try to be forward thinking and set up that schedule, set up that routine, make sure sleep is there, eating. But then, you know, when we're talking about focus, it is about attention and attending. And each child is different. So it's first knowing your child, you know, what helps them. Are they inherently good at organizing? Great. If they're not, how can you help? It is to setting limits about things that detract from attention. And so we've talked about attention, you and I before, and this is where this really resonates here is, um, you know, attending to things is sometimes harder to for kids. So then practice, right? How can I, you know, set up challenges that can help you remember things? How, you know, can we have tips? Can we have strategies? Can we do, um, you know, kind of brain exercises to get you in the rhythm of um, focusing in, but also then giving yourself a break. And for other kids, they can tend to overfocus, and then that can become a problem too, because then we're creating worry. So it's that balance of trying to improve concentration, trying to improve planning, trying to improve memory, trying to improve um, working together and collaboration and problem solving, and trying to do that. Um, in the home and at school and and kind of in advance, but knowing we're not going to be good at that if we haven't slept a full night, if we haven't nourished ourselves, and if we're, you know, not kind of clear about what expectations are, what the schedule is. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's not kind of, it's a, it's a pretty massive chunk and you need to engage a child. So that's where you can kind of meet them at their interest because it's not Mm going to sound like fun to say, okay, we're going to work on improving the focus now. (laughs) right Right. sit down and you have to yes I mean even for example a puzzle is one of is one of the examples um and kids are going to say well why would I what's the uh, here's the great part what's a puzzle what's puzzle Mm -hmm. what what do you mean a puzzle comes in a box don't I go on the internet and then just click these pieces and they all you know figure out how to to go together uh now have fun let's so it's not all hard work and, 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 um, you know, for kids to, to, uh, to, yeah. you know, really like, okay, I got to give up some screen time, blah, blah, blah. Part of it is having fun with your, it is. With it can be so how does that work? Like, how does that help them with, with going back to school? Well, What's because the they're going to be, that? they're going to be asked to do tasks going back to school, right? Like we're going to have to attend, we're going to have to follow um, non-preferred things. We're going to have to be able to tune in, tune out, you know, put pen to paper. And, you know, when we're out of those kind of structures, you know, I mean, I've taken vacation and it takes me a minute to come back to work and know that I have to meet deadlines and do different things. So it's, it's really priming for, there's going to be a demand. You're going to be required to a task. Maybe you have, you know, a child might not have put a pen in their hand for many, many months. A lots of kids learned virtually last year. So they did everything on a keyboard. Um, and so there still are pen to paper tasks. They might not have participated in gym class, so they might not have moved. So that's where you can kind of get out and have fun. Schools use things like brain teasers, and it is about creatively problem solving and those kinds of things. So that's where, you know, you could do a puzzle or you could do the wordle. Like you can do different things but it's, it's to stretch your mind. It's to, to, you know, flex muscles, 
that our brain is a muscle just as much as any other muscle in our body. So it's really about um, flexing different muscles, getting used to that because they do atrophy over time if they're not used. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned going on a uh, vacation. It, mm-hmm. it, my experience is you go on the vacation and you're so excited. You get there and it's great, great, great. And then in kind of the last day, you start to focus more on, oh, it's going to be a plane ride and the airport's going mm-hmm. to be a hassle. And then I've got to go mm-hmm. back to work. And it's mm-hmm. a natural way for the, the brain to, to mm-hmm. go through that process. So when you do get home, mm-hmm. you're kind of prepped. And um, I imagine that that, um, that must be really hard for children sometimes because we can think our way through it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it would be, would be hard. Now, I love this one. Manage your own emotions. Mm-hmm. So parents have to, and again, it's been a little bit of a free-for-all for the last couple yeah. of years. And I think the good thing coming out of it with kids is that we have this kind of, of process that parents can and look at. But what is it that parents can do and why? Why should parents be um, uh, managing their emotions and what emotions do they have to manage and all of these things that would be very, that's hard for the adult. Oh yeah, because we're vested. So, you know, we're vested in our kids being successful, right? They're, so we want them to go to school. For some people, it children going to school hinges on whether they're going to be late to work or not. Um, you know, some people are really, um, tethered to their child's success, socially, academically, um, sports wise. So parents set the tone, you set the tone. And so if we're asking children to manage our emotions, then it's a responsibility on the parent to be able to manage theirs. Now, does that mean that parents don't get frustrated? Absolutely not. But, you know, if you're able to articulate that and say, you know, I'm getting worried that we're not going to be on time, Um, And like you say, you know, coming back from a vacation, an adult should have those upper level skills to kind of think through what's happening. That's exactly what we're saying. You know, kids might have that same dread, oh, it's back to school on the 6th. So if we're having, if we're in a regulated space as a parent, we can have that discussion. How are you feeling about going back to school? What do you see as the challenges? You know, this is what I'm looking for that you're going to do. This is what I think is going to be hard. We haven't gotten up in a long time. Now you're modeling a conversation, you're modeling communication and you're modeling regulation and normalizing an emotional experience. But saying like, then, you know, I get nervous that maybe you're not going to be able to wake up in the morning. So this is what I'm going to do. So it's skill building, it's normalizing, it's communicative, it's demonstration, but you know, to say that parents aren't having their own emotional experience is reductive. They are. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Parents felt a lot of pressure when they had to work and teach from home. Right. And so yeah. it's the same. Now we have to go back and, 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 you know, parents want and may still have worries about safety and wellness and what decisions am I going to make. And, you know, so it's, those things that they may have worry about that might not be appropriate to share with their child. Where are you putting that? If you're containing it, then, you know, that's really um, cumbersome for a parent and detrimental over time to, to, to not have a space to contain feelings. So that's why we want to highlight, you know, utilize our support line. Crisis services support line is there 24-7. Talk it out with a, a counselor that's there. We have our walk-in clinics. You know, you don't have to be in a crisis, but parents, sometimes you need a resource to say, you know, this is what I'm worried about. And better 
we think said and supported then containing and potentially trickling down to your child. Erin, thank you for coming on and talking to me about this today. Thank you, Janice. Always happy to come. We really appreciate your support. And we hope that everybody um, uses the information and accesses us. That's what we're, we're hoping to be there for the community.